0: This month is LGBT History Month and to mark this we are launching a four-part series looking at the history of LGBT spaces in London. I'm Andrew Belt, UCEM's PR and Social Media Manager and joining me is Eliza White, UCEM's Digital Communications Officer, who came up with the idea and carried out the research for this podcast series. So firstly Eliza, what is LGBT History Month?
1: So in the UK, February is LGBT History Month. It was launched in 2005 to commemorate the abolition of Section 28 in 2003. So if you don't know what Section 28 is, it was brought in in the 80s with the Thatcher government. And they introduced this legislation which banned the promotion of homosexuality in local authorities. So that's schools, libraries and councils
0: and you refer to it there obviously a dark page in in this country's history so so why does lgbt history month matter
1: well i think it's really important to talk about education in terms of destigmatizing lgbtq plus people and also it it's the only way to remed- remedy ignorance as well I think it's important to remember that homosexuality was decriminalized only 55 years ago so that was 1967 and then to then go on almost 30 years later and then introduce section 28 as well I mean it it really does affect queer people and their well-being you know with section 28 you weren't allowed to teach about safe sex between same gender people couldn't offer support to students who were being bullied either local councils couldn't give you services so i couldn't give you a social worker if you needed one and even books were banned from libraries so that's the past but now it's also really clear that a lot of lgbtq plus people still really struggle to show their identities especially in the workplace so stonewall's report on lgbtq people in the workplace and this was 2018 so only four years ago they claim that 35 percent of lgbtq staff have had to hide or disguise who they are at work because they're scared of d- discrimination so I think it's really important to bring these things to the forefront still.
0: 100%. And I didn't know about the, the report from Stonewall there from four years ago. You you would think it would be a, a lot smaller, that percentage number. But by now you feel that progress is being made. And education, I think that was a great point you made. So important to have these awareness events so that people can, be, can understand the difficulties which the LGBT community have, have been through and understand how they can be allies and and help to make the world just a more accepting and better place so you've obviously done some research for this podcast series and i just wanted to know you know how easy a task is it researching lgbt history and when you were carrying out your research of lgbt history what milestones or events jumped out at you?
1: So it really wasn't easy to, to research, particularly before the 1950s or so. Much of queer history we only know of because of we have records of prosecutions because homosexuality was outlawed. But on the same on the same coin, side of the same coin, homosexuality was only outlawed for men. So while you have these records of men, queer women's records were even harder to come by. And that's mostly because they lived in this private sphere. So it was much easier for them to kind of hide who they were. You're expected as a woman to be escorted everywhere by somebody else. So if you had another woman with you, you know, it would just be assumed that they were a friend or something like that. In terms of things that I found really interesting in my research, there were these pubs and coffee houses that were referred to at the time called molly houses. And a molly, it was a type of person who dressed in a in quite a flamboyant way. They weren't necessarily gay, but it was a gay man who dressed in a in the very sort of, or it was a man who dressed very flamboyantly. And these molly houses were used by queer men in the 18th and 19th century. And I also found it really interesting that it was such a hub of community and they even held weddings there. And they had witnesses, even had, you know, bridesmaids and best men and maid of honour. So they were really kind of emulating the kind of straight society at the time there, um, even though they weren't, you know, legally recognised. I also found it really interesting how much of this history is kind of hiding in plain sight. So these safe spaces are kind of carved out and they're almost from the front kind of masquerading as somewhere more conventional. Whereas in fact below you have the space to kind of be yourself and that's something that happens now. And it's something that I found when I started my research in the history from um, 300 years ago.
0: Yeah, interesting things you you highlight there. Molly houses, I'd never heard of that phrase before, or, well, Molly itself, so the definition of that. And the fact that it's criminal records, which are some of the earliest pieces of LGBT history you can find, it shows the problem of of, of where things were going back, you know, you say, even 50 years ago or so, when homosexuality was still a criminal offence. As we work for a university... Uh, I feel obliged to ask for the references for your research. You've done some extensive l- looking back through the archive. So, what websites did you use to gather the information for this podcast series? So that's a
1: really good and really important question. So, like a good scholar, I avoided Wikipedia. <laughs> And I instead found lots of other interesting articles and sources. So an article from the Museum of London called Hidden Pride, London's London's LGBT History by Alwyn Collinson. A couple of Londonist articles, one called Six Things You Probably Didn't Know About the History of Queer London by Will Noble. One called A History of Soho's LGBTQ plus Bars. An article from the British Library called Queer in the City, London by Stephen Dryden. An interview with Andrew, Dixon's, with Andrew Dixon and Peter Ackroyd in The Guardian titled A Secret History, 2,000 Years of Gay Life in London. And finally, a book called Queer Histories of London, circa 1850 to the present, edited by Simon Avery and Catherine M. Graham.
0: So you can't say that we haven't given you our uh, references there. And if any of those sounded particularly interesting, of course, you could check them out and, and read more on these topics. So obviously this series is looking at LGBT spaces in London. So how did you come up with the idea for researching this particular topic? Why London specifically?
1: Oh, well, I really wanted to be able to tie our, our theme for LGBTQ plus History Month in with our institutions focus of the built environment. For me, queer spaces in London are really important and are really important to kind of my own identity and kind of how I kind of became really comfortable with my with my own sexual identity. But I didn't know too much about the capital's history in relation to these spaces. So I wanted to kind of find out more. I mean, there's so much media about from the 70s and 80s onwards, but there's nothing really before that. So I really wanted to understand better. And also just the, just the fact that queer people have always existed. So there's always some kind of, there, there is always a queer sort of element to all history really with London being a really interesting urban space. I also think it would be a real shame if we lost some of this earlier history as I think it really has a strong tie to what the queer community And I understand that's quite a monolithic term you know a single queer community but I want to understand what it looks like now and kind of sharing the contrast between the two with new audiences I think is really important
0: And it's great to tie it in with as you say UCM's own identity as as a provider of uh, supported online learning for the built environment so looking at spaces in particular and uh, through the lens of our capital city so great great to sort of understand your thinking behind the series and now it would be great to sort of hear you know what what's to come we've got three more parts so uh, could you tell me a little bit more about the series
1: sure so over the next few episodes we'll look at the birth of a modern queer space starting south of the Thames in Vauxhall in the 18th century and Vauxhall is home to 300 years of queer history and then we will look at sort of the perhaps better known hub of the queer community in London Soho from its 19th century regeneration to rebirth as the red light district in the 1980s and we will finish off with our final episode looking at the current situation and the challenges queer spaces now face and the factors that could contribute to the bars and clubs closing down.
0: Fantastic. So, yeah, I look forward to learning more about the history of Vauxhall and Soho's LGBT spaces and dissecting the current situation with LGBT spaces in London with you for our series finale. So, yeah, thank you for explaining more about LGBT History Month and providing a glimpse of what's to come. Thanks, Eliza. Thank you. So, if you would like to keep up to date with the series, either follow us on what, whichever podcast platform you are listening to us on or keep an eye out for updates on our Twitter. LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook channels. Thanks for listening.